So how many of you guys like old-fashioned cookouts? Okay. Right. I know I, I definitely do because they combine two of my favorite things, food and fire. <laughs> and and I, I think, you know, for most people, there's something special uh, about sitting around the warm glow of a fire and sharing a meal with people that you care about that just feels like home. Right. There's this kind of magic, you know, in the smell of the wood smoke that brings back memories of days gone by and there's a camaraderie that you share around a, an open-air meal that can't, can't be replicated by any other dining experience. It just brings people closer together. And I think our, our Lord must have felt so, too, as you're going to see uh, in today's reading in what would be his third resurrection appearance to his disciples, uh, to seven of them this time, and not in Jerusalem as on the previous occasions, uh, but back up in Galilee, not, not in an upper room or not on a roadside to Emmaus, uh, but this time on the lakeshore, standing by a pit of glowing coals uh, and a welcoming meal that he had made for his friends. And so we're going to be looking. This is a little uh, shift in the lectionary. You know, we've been following the Gospel of Luke. Uh, you know, the lectionary is a three-year cycle, and there's four Gospels. So John gets kind of peppered in through this year. This is one of those occasions. So instead of Luke, we're actually looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And I'll be reading you the first 14 verses. So John 21, 1 to 14. John tells us later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Uh, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Oh, we'll come too, they all said. And so they went out into a boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic and jumped into the water and headed to the shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net into the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. And so Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore, and there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. God, our Father, we pray that uh, you would open our ears this morning to the sound of your voice in these sacred words, that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive all that you would fill them with, uh, and most of all, Lord, that you would let us see and recognize Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. So today, as, as we read, we find the guys back home, back up in Galilee, kind of biding their time while they're waiting for further instructions from their risen Lord about, uh, you know, what to do with the rest of their lives. But in the meantime, they do what they know how to do best, which is to go back at least temporarily to their previous line of work that had put food on the table for them. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. And he doesn't mean he's going to be sitting in a boat for a couple of hours with rod and reel drinking beer with his buddies. 
right? Now, when Peter says he's going fishing, him and the boys are going fishing. I mean, they're really going fishing. They haul out the nets. Because uh, remember, they're commercial fishermen, right? So they get into a boat, a big boat, one that's big enough for seven of them. And they're out all night plying their trade in these familiar waters, uh, waters that they know like the back of their hand, but they work all night and they don't catch a thing. Some nights are like that in the fishing business, I suppose. And so they're tired physically, and they're exhausted mentally, and they they're, have to be frustrated, I'm sure. And by now it's dawn, and they look up, and some guy is standing on the shore looking back at them, but they, they can't make out who it is because, you know, they're out on the lake about 100 yards away from shore. And this fellow on the beach calls out across the waters, Hey, fellas, did you catch anything? No, they said. Well, cast your net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. And right now they have to be thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, we've been here all night. We're using our skills, all of our know-how, and we come up empty. Uh, Don't you think you know, we know what we're doing, right? We're we're the pros at this, buddy. Uh, Who who does this guy think he is anyway? But, But whether it was something in this fellow's voice or just out of a sheer what could it hurt, uh, desperation, they give it one more try before they pack in the nets. And they cast the net where the stranger said, and instantly, a net full of fish. I mean, a whole bunch of fish. Art and I were just talking about this before church. Uh, and the big catch made such a big impression on the fishermen that John, our kind of eyewitness with an eye for details, records the exact number in his gospel. 153, right, Art? 153 to be exact. And they were large. And if you know this story, if you, if you remember the story, uh, over the years, lots of commentators have spilled loads of ink offering suggestions as to why that exact number of fish is recorded, um, none of which I think are particularly helpful. I, I think it's just maybe the simplest answer is the best, and that is that it testifies to the power of Jesus to hold on to whatever he catches. Uh, whether that's someone like Cleopas, who was the slow of heart last week, or Thomas the doubter, or Peter the denier, or you and me today, uh, if we have truly received God's offer of salvation in his son, we won't ever be the fish that got away, right? As Jesus himself said in John chapter 6, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose how many? Nothing. Nothing. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Nothing. Right? Meaning, church, that his covenant promises are a net that can't tear and they're a line that won't break. And what a relief that thought must have been for the disciples today is suddenly at the sight of this miraculous catch, the, the, you know, the light bulb goes on and, and they put two and two together and they come up with who this mystery man on the shore must be. Uh, and, and with that, Peter dives into the water uh, and swims straight to shore while the rest of the guys follow in the boat. To get to the shore, see Jesus standing there by the glow of a charcoal fire. And surprise, he's already got some fish of his own on the fire, and he's got some bread, and he invites them to eat. And by now, you know, I'm thinking all sorts of bells should be going off, these memory bells in the disciples' heads, reminding them of the the feeding of the multitudes that they'd witnessed, with the loaves and the fishes from that little boy's lunch. And for Peter, 
Peter especially ought to have been just flooded with memories. Some of them went all the way back to when he first met Jesus three years ago. So if you guys remember back in the beginning of Luke, uh, he records one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge where the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And stepping into one of the boats, Jesus said to Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowd from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Sound familiar? Uh, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. At this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear, and a shout for help brought their partners in another boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that had been caught as were the others with him, his partners, James and John. The sons of Zebedee were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Amen. They followed him from there all the way to this moment, right? All the way to this place on the shore by a charcoal campfire. But a lot of stuff had happened in the days in between those two events, hadn't it? particularly an event that had happened around another uh, charcoal fire pit, an event that was still so fresh in Peter's mind and one that would have come rushing back to him at the, the crackle of the coals and the warmth of the flames and the smell of the smoke from the meal that our Lord had just prepared. Uh, an incident that had happened not so many days ago in the courtyard of the high priest's house. This is from John 18. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciples who had known the high priest spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a charcoal fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing there warming himself. And while he was standing there warming himself, they asked him, aren't you one of his disciples too? He denied it, saying, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. And so, so picture this, here's Peter Three times denying Jesus out in the courtyard, standing by this charcoal fire. Uh, the same kind now that today he finds waiting for him when he pulls himself up out of the water to meet the master on the shore. Can you just imagine how Peter must have felt? How he must have been overwhelmed with that feeling of deja vu. Like, you know, being here again with Jesus and being by this charcoal fire. Uh, and and this, this may be interesting only to me, but I'm going to share it anyway. Uh, the word in the original text here used to describe these charcoal fires, anthracia, is only used two times in the whole New Testament, just twice. The first time is in the courtyard scene of Peter's public denial, and now it's here in John 21 on the shore uh, with Jesus and Peter standing together by the one our Lord had prepared. And in my humble opinion, that's more than a coincidence. 
And the connection, I think, becomes even more clear with what happened next because three times Peter had been called out as a Christian and three times denied his Lord standing by the light of a charcoal fire. And now three times Jesus will call Peter's love for him into question by the glow of the one they're standing next to in today's text. So if you're still following along in John 21, 15, they're still by the charcoal fire after breakfast. Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. The third time he asked again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. You know, as I said, a lot of things that happened between those two charcoal fires, haven't they? Between the one in the courtyard and the one on the shore. Between Peter's denial and now his restored commission to care for the flock of God. In fact, if you think about it, in the space between those two events, the Lord Jesus actually became our in-between. He became the man in the middle on the middle cross, the ultimate mediator, making peace between a holy God and sinful humanity by his blood shed for us. Shed to purchase Peter's forgiveness and yours and mine and calling all of us to come back. To come back to a loving Savior who's waiting for us just like he was waiting by that charcoal campfire. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that he was willing to do that for me. In spite of all the times that I've denied Jesus. And not, not maybe exactly in the way that Peter did, but, but in other ways, right? De- denying Christ by my attitudes and actions. Denying Christ by surrendering to the pressures of the world. Denying Christ by times that I should have spoken up in his defense and maybe didn't. Denying him by failing to do things I've known full well he wanted me to do. And you know what, if all of you were honest, we've all done that. We've all done that at times. And so imagine for just a moment this story isn't about Peter, it's about you, it's about me. And we're standing eyeball to eyeball with the Lord Jesus and he looks straight at you and he asks, how much do you love me? How much do you love me? And whether you know it or not, every aspect of your life is interconnected with your sincere answer to that question, just like it was for Peter. And so we should heed the warning of 1 Corinthians 10, 12 that says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You see, Peter had bragged about how much he loved Jesus more than all the other disciples. And then what did he do? He denied the Lord three times. And so now Jesus asked Peter if he's still going to brag about how much he loves him more than the others. And he asked him three times until Peter gets the point of what he's being asked. And he finally expresses his love for Jesus as a confession of faith rather than as a bragging point. Because think about it. Jesus could have said, you know, Peter, you blew it. Uh, First, you didn't have enough faith to walk on water. Then you tried to dissuade me from going to the cross. You wouldn't let me wash your feet. You just embarrassed me by cutting off that high priest servant's ear. You ran away, and now you denied me. You've been cowardly. You've been conceited, sometimes too rash, sometimes too slow. You're presumptuous, you're impulsive, uh, and I've had enough. I mean, Jesus could have berated Peter over and over and over again. But our Lord's desire with Peter and with us is to convict us of our sins so that we'll desire to change 
rather than to condemn us to a life of failure. And to help us realize that even in our darkest times of doubt and distrust, that for those of us that are in Christ, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that God the Father has given us a full redemption and a full pardon of all of our sins. And then added to that package, the beautiful lifelong journey of sanctification through the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing us to become partakers in the process whereby God molds and shapes and transforms you and I into the express image of his son. And doing it so we can begin to become the, the saints that he wants us to eventually become in him. And then at that point, he begins to bless whatever he's calling you to do in his name, whether that's in, in church or at home or, or work or in school or family or in the community, drawing us to the light of his love and the flame of his desire to redeem us and to bring us back to himself. Because as the Bible says, church, we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So don't, don't agonize today over an occasional weakness in your faith or maybe the scattered holes in your understanding or the bits of unbelief that creep in occasionally. Instead, brothers and sisters, be confident in Christ, uh, knowing that it's not your own worked up faith that makes you lovely in the sight of God, but only the beauty of Christ's righteousness extended to you, just like it was to Peter by that campfire. Because, you know, we're all, we're all tempted to compromise our faith from time to time, right? But thanks be to God that he is able, as the Bible says, to keep us from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The same joy today that calls us to jump out of the boats of our own plans and to rush to his presence so that we can be lovingly restored by the burning flame of God's forgiveness and the blessing of the meal that he continually desires to share with us. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, is truly right and our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise, especially in this Holy Supper, recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by your Son, and asking you, Lord, by the joy of his resurrection, we celebrate this Eastertide uh, in an expectation of his coming again that unite us in your truth and love so that we can confess your name and sit together at one table. And so come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this time, in this place, that eyes may be opened that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.